0: So, uh, you know, it's been a really fun week as we've gotten to the other side of Awaken. You know, we had 30 days of, of prayer and fasting and it kind of finished, you know, last week. What a great way to finish that Sunday night of celebrating here and watching people get baptized. But. The, the Monday night following that, it was really neat. A bunch of us got to get together with about 500 pastors from around our city. He represented some of, the, some of the 400 plus churches that were involved in Awaken. We just got to hear story after story after story of how God has been at work in their churches. You know, We had a baptism night last week where 33 people got baptized. There was another church in town that did a baptism night during the fast. They had 150 people get baptized. Like, whew, that's crazy. You know, it's like God is just at work uh, in our city. And this week, it's been really neat. You know, we all have started sending out our postcards. And so we're starting to get some feedback from some of these postcards. And, um, you know, it's been kind of neat. A few people have handwritten letters and they, you know, they didn't know where to send it because it's just that generic PO box on the postcard. And so they just mailed it, addressed to the person who wrote them a note and sent it to the post office box. So we're getting these handwritten notes. Uh, I think about one that came in this week Uh, This woman, she just, she started her note and she said, dear Bob, I don't know who Bob is, but you know, Bob's the guy that wrote her postcard. So she said, dear Bob, uh, I think your postcard ended up in my mailbox by mistake. She said, but I cannot tell you how timely and weighty the words that you wrote in your postcard were in my life. Thank you for taking the time to pray and for mailing this postcard. I'll make sure it ends up in the right post office box, you know, now that I'm finished with it. I just thought that was so cool. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Whoever Bob is, he got to like bless two different people, you know, because he mailed his postcard. You know, we got an email this week. This was really cool. There was a woman who, she figured out that Ethos was connected to this because News Channel 5 did a story on Awaken uh, during the fast. And so she saw Ethos on there and she sent an email to questions at ethoschurch.org. And she said, I don't have a question. I just wanted to share with you kind of what happened in my life this week. She said, my husband was discharged from the hospital yesterday uh, for being suicidal. She goes, and then today he had to go back to work and on the way to work, he got into a car crash. She said, so he's had an awful week and an awful day. And he came home from work and he went to check the mail and he pulled out this postcard from a random stranger who'd been praying for him for the past 30 days. And she said, I can't tell you uh, how important and how thankful I am for you guys. She said, because this encouragement was just what he needed to get through another day. She said, sincerely, a thankful wife. Like, guys, God is on the move in our city. Like, you know, and we've got to be careful here because it will be be easy if you're on social media, if you're reading, it'll be easy to get swept up in some of the cynicism in our city. Like, yes, Thousands of people will get their postcard and go, "Ah, oh, this is junk, throw it in the junk mail pile and roll their eyes. But thousands of people will get their postcard and their hearts will be softened to the love of God while they stand at their mailbox just getting the everyday task of getting their mail. You see, thousands of people across our city are having their hearts softened to the love of God because of the way that he has moved not just us, but his people across Nashville to pray. And so the question we have to ask is, man, what's next? Like, is God done? Was that just like this thing that he did? Like, what's next for us? And I'm convinced that for us to know where to go, we have to know who we are. We can't move forward until we know who we are. And I think knowing who we are will require us looking back and seeing where we come from. I'm rereading a book that I've read many times uh, called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. A lot of you may have read it before. And in the middle of this book, uh, Eldridge tells this story of a friend of his named Craig He says, Craig's life was radically changed when he was an adult, when he finally took on his father's last name. Now, Craig's story was that his father was killed in the Korean War when Craig was only four months old, and his mother remarried, and the guy that she married adopted Craig, and so he took on his last name, but this guy didn't have a whole lot of love to share with Craig. In fact, one of the only things he would ever say to him when he was frustrated, he said, ah, Craig, you're about as worthless as a seagull. All they're good for is sitting and squawking and fill in the blank. Can you imagine being a boy and growing up and hearing that from the guy who adopted you as your father? And so when Craig was an adult, he discovered who his father was. He discovered that his biological father was a war hero who gave his life trying to fight for others whose plans were after the war to go into the mission field to share the love of Christ around the world. And then he found out who his grandfather was, William McConnell, William McConnell was the first Protestant missionary to Central America who gave his life trying to take the good news of Jesus to people who never heard the name of Jesus. And this guy, Craig, finally took his father's name and it shifted something in his identity and the purpose of his life. You see, here's the reality for us as the church, is that I think that a lot of us, we've been handed down a name that feels devoid of power and of meaning. You know, some of us, have, you've grown up in church and you showed up to church every single Sunday and there was a name on the church. It didn't matter what it was. For some of you, it was such and such Methodist church, Lutheran church, Baptist church, church of Christ, church of God, Catholic church, doesn't matter. There's this name that's been handed down to us, fill in the blank, church. And it feels like it's just this empty name that denotes a building where people go together on a Sunday morning. But I think that Jesus has so much more for us You know, Over the next few months, we're going to find our way forward by looking back at where we've come from, and we're going to work our way through the book of Acts, because the book of Acts is the story of the birth of the church, and so we're going to read verses 1 through 11 tonight. Before we jump in, I'll give you a little bit of intro so you know kind of where we are in the biblical story. Uh, The book of Acts was written by this guy named Luke. And Luke um, was known for his attention to detail. He was a well-educated man. He he was a physician, a doctor in the first century. And uh, he's known because he wrote two different books in the New Testament, the gospel that goes by his name, Luke. And then he wrote this book called Acts. And I I love the way Luke writes because he gives careful attention to detail. At the beginning of the book of Luke, he's writing uh, to, to this guy, Theophilus. We don't know exactly who Theophilus is, but... He tells him at the beginning of Luke, he says, listen, I have carefully investigated all that I'm about to lay out to you. I've talked to eyewitnesses. So Luke wasn't careless. He wasn't just writing down hearsay or rumors. He went to the eyewitnesses who were there when things happened and said, hey, tell me about what you saw. And he tells Theophilus, he says, I'm doing this. I'm writing all of this down so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. And so Luke had an intention so that all those who would come to follow Jesus both in his day and beyond could have certainty about the historical story that they were leaning into. And so he writes the book of Acts and it is following the story of Jesus beyond the resurrection, the continually unfolding story of Jesus. And so let's read, starting in Acts chapter one, we're gonna read verses one through eight to start. This is what Luke writes. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, listen, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord out of Acts 1. And so what I want us to look at tonight uh, is kind of just Luke's intro and what I think is the definition he's going to give us of the church. And one of the things that struck me most as I read through this this week is, is, is how Luke starts. He says, hey, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do. That word began just grabbed my attention in a different way this week. In other words, it's like Luke is saying, hey, listen, the gospel that I wrote about the birth of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, hey, that was just act one in the drama that Jesus is unfolding. That was just act one in Jesus' story. He says it was the starting point for something brand new. You know, although this book, Acts, is commonly called the Acts of the Apostles, some say a more apt name for it would be the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit because this is the continued unfolding story of Christ and his church working through the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about the story of Jesus, I think, okay, it all culminated in the cross and the empty tomb, and that was kind of the climax in the end, and then it was done. But that's not what Luke says. He says, Jesus was just getting started by rising from the dead, (laughs) He's just getting started by rising from the dead. This is an incredible moment, and it's just the beginning, and so he has more. And so what he's going to say, he's going to give us this definition of the church, an identity for us to lean into that will help us find our way forward. And this, this identity has three parts to it. Okay, the first part is this, that the church is a movement of God's kingdom. The church, first and foremost, is a movement of the kingdom of God. Look with me in verse 3. This is what Luke says, after his sufferings, Jesus presented himself to his apostles and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. In other words, hey, this is real, this is happening. I rose from the dead. And it says, listen, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. I want you to imagine Jesus has 40 days. He's risen from the dead. He's trying to prepare his followers for all that God is about to unfold through them. And he's gotta choose wisely what he is gonna to speak to them about. And listen to what he spoke about. He didn't get them together and go, okay, guys, I'm gonna tell you how to start a religion. Okay, this is how religion works. Let me tell you what it's gonna look like. He didn't get them together and said, okay, guys, um, let me lay out church politics and hierarchy for you. Okay, Peter, you're gonna be the big boss and put you at the top. And then John, you're a little bit lower than that. Now here's how it's gonna be structured. Here's the policy, here's the politics. He didn't do that. He also didn't say, hey, let me tell you about the buildings that you build. Man, these cathedrals you guys are gonna make are gonna be incredible. People are gonna come from miles around just to see these buildings in the middle of cities that nobody goes into anymore. <laughs> no, this is not Jesus' vision for the church. What did he talk about? he got them together, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. This was Jesus's vision for the church. He was preparing his followers for a movement, a movement of God's reign as king in the lives of very ordinary people. Now, what does this mean? The kingdom of God, the coming of God's kingdom. How do you know when the kingdom of God comes? You know, To understand what Jesus thought of when he used this phrase, the kingdom of God, you only need to read one of the gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God over and over and over again. He describes the kingdom through parables, through miracles, through his ministry, and through his teachings. We don't have time tonight to like, take a deep dive into understanding what the kingdom of God is, but I'm gonna give you some markers of what Jesus lays out on what it looks like when God's reign as king comes into the life of ordinary people. He says, hey, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It, it looks like the lost coming home. Everything we've been talking about for the last four weeks Jesus is telling these parables to describe, hey, in the kingdom of God, those who have found themselves far away from where they wanna be are shown how to get back to where they long to be with their father. The lost come home. In the kingdom of God, sinners like me are forgiven. And the weight of my guilt is lifted off my shoulders because of the sacrifice and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In the kingdom of God, the poor are cared for, the hungry are fed, the sick are healed, and the dead are raised. In the kingdom of God, demons and spiritual forces of evil are defeated. In the kingdom of God, addiction and all types of bondage are broken and lifted off the shoulders of humanity so they can walk in freedom. In the kingdom of God, hearts are softened and hardened cynics become tender believers. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God begins to advance in our midst, and Jesus says you can see it, it's coming up all around you. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. You see, for Jesus, his vision of the church was anything but a static institution. It's a dynamic movement and an advancement of the kingdom, reign, and authority of God that has the power to shift both the physical and the spiritual worlds all the way from individual peoples to entire entire neighborhoods to entire nations. Man, if this is our understanding of the church, it begins to change a little bit how we talk about going to church Hey, what are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm going to house church. Hey, what are you doing tonight? I'm going to participate in a movement of God's kingdom reign that has the power to shift physical and spiritual realities. You want to come? It's going to be awesome. I want to be in on that. This is who we are, ethos. We are a movement of God's kingdom. In the world, by God's authority, we get to announce and help advance God's kingdom reign. You see, Jesus has been inaugurated as the king of a new kingdom. And that kingdom is actively advancing. And we live with a different set of ethics and expectations than those who abide in the kingdoms of this world. So who are we? Man, we are participants in the movement of God's kingdom. I, th- I think about how this changes the way we come out of the season we were just in. We're in this season of fasting where we're watching God move because we decided to walk in and embrace some new rhythms in our lives. You know, I don't know about you what this last week has felt like for you, but I know for me, the tendency is to slip right back into the way things were before the fast. It's like suddenly, you know, because I can't eat anything, I do eat anything and everything. You know, it's like, oh man, I'm kind of stressed. I'm going to eat. It's like a whole week. I just kept feeding my physical senses. Did you know that you don't just have physical senses? Did you know you have spiritual senses as well? Did you know that in a season of fasting, we're actually learning to tune and train our spiritual senses for what God is up to? Because in order to see and to notice the coming kingdom of God, your spiritual senses have to be in tune with what he's doing. You just read through the Bible over and over again, you see the writers talking about these spiritual senses. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he'll pray, he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's not talking about physical sight there. (laughs) He's talking about a spiritual sense and awareness of what's going on in the spiritual. He goes on to pray in Ephesians a little later. He says, I keep praying that that you together with all the saints may have strength in the spirit to understand how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus. He's not talking about physical strength. He's talking about spiritual strength. This is why the Old Testament writers would say, taste and see that the Lord is good. They're not talking about our physical taste spiritual taste. King David, Lord, I long to gaze and dwell and put my eyes upon your presence and your beauty. He's talking about spiritual senses. You see, in a season of fasting, one of the things that we're doing is learning to deny some of our physical cravings. Because when we do that, it awakens our spiritual senses to what God is up to. And I just want to encourage you, Ethos, as you come out of this fast, don't allow yourself to slip right back into the way things were. Before the fast, there is a new normal for us to lean into. And the new normal is where our spiritual senses are heightened and we have eyes to see the coming kingdom of God. You know, Jesus' followers, when he was doing his ministry, he trained his disciples. He said, hey, listen, when you see the kingdom of God come in, just proclaim it. In Luke chapter 10, he says, hey, you're going to go into villages and you know, you're going to do these normal everyday things, like raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out demons. He says, when that happens, say, the kingdom of God has come near." Because their spiritual eyes were able to see it. What if we started doing this? What if this just became our new normal to proclaim the coming kingdom whenever we saw it? You think about Ronnie's story from last week that Dave shared in his sermon. If you, oh, we guys didn't get to hear that. We didn't do that at five. Hey, go listen to the podcast from last week. This guy, Ronnie, was drawn to God by his spirit, did not know that the very next day after he gave his life to Jesus in baptism that he was going to pass away. Died the next day. I happened at a church in Nashville during the fast. His family shows up at the church like five days later and said, hey, we need to talk to the guy that baptized our our family member, Ronnie. And so the guy comes out and they they tell him, hey, this guy, he died the day after you baptized him. He's like, oh my goodness. And they're like, we need to know about this Jesus that he gave his life to. And all of them gave their life to Jesus. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. I think about what happened in here Sunday night of last week. The kingdom of God has come near. I think about a young woman that I got to pray with at the Respond Banner several weeks ago, who'd been racked with with uh, chronic migraines. She'd been to the doctor about it. And she came in and she said, I just want someone to pray. And so one of our elders and myself and another pastor got around her. We anointed her head with oil, which sounds weird, but that's what the Bible tells us to do. And we prayed for her healing, and the migraines were taken away completely. She went back to the doctor and she's like, They're gone. The kingdom of God has come near. God is at work. He's on the move. The kingdom is drawing near, and he's inviting us to have eyes to see it. Do you want in on it, Ethos? Do you want in on it? And so what is the church? Who are we? First and foremost, we are a movement of God's kingdom. Secondly, it's a movement of God's kingdom started by Jesus and fueled by the Holy Spirit the movement of the kingdom started by Jesus, fueled by the Holy Spirit. I want you to imagine what the disciples were experiencing. They see their friend, who they know was dead, And he's with them, like sitting with them, eating, and he's got these holes in his hands and his feet, and they're like, this is crazy, dead dude, back to life, (laughs) you know? And then he starts going, hey, guys, let me tell you what's about to happen. You're you're about to see the dead raised. You're about to see the sick healed. You're about to get to testify in front of Roman officials. You're going to see thousands of people put their faith in me because of what God is up to. And they're like, yeah, they're eager, ready to go. But listen to what Jesus says to them in verse 4. It says, one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, hey, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you in a few days will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, listen, I know you're eager, but what's about to unfold is not gonna happen because of your efforts. It's gonna happen because you are gonna be baptized in the Holy Spirit, now, this language of baptism of the Holy Spirit is kind of weird to us. We don't really understand it, you know? It's like, we understand water baptism because our physical senses we're fully aware of. We, we understand that, hey, this person's dry, they go in the water and they come out wet. We can like feel the water, we can feel it all around us. We understand water baptism. But man, what is this baptism of the Spirit? You know, I grew up in a tradition that didn't wanna talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit, because it felt kind of weird. Maybe we'd heard other people talk about it in a way that wasn't helpful or unhealthy or even hurtful. But it's right here, Jesus' words, hey, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean? You know, some people don't want to talk about it because they're like, hey, was, was I baptized in the Spirit? How do I know? Did that person have it more than me? So let me just clear up a couple things. First, just know I'm not gonna crack the theological code that people for 2,000 years have been trying to understand when it comes to Holy Spirit baptism, okay? But I wanna help us understand a little bit what Jesus is talking about here. If you have been baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? What happened in here last week was not John's baptism, What happened in here last week was the baptism of Jesus and Jesus' promise in Acts chapter 2, that we'll see in a couple weeks, is that when you're baptized into Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. And so if you're sitting here tonight and you've been baptized into Jesus, you have the gift of the Spirit living in you. You've been baptized in the Spirit. But why is it that sometimes we see people being filled with the Spirit in unique ways? Is that different? I had a mentor that explained it to me this way one time. He said, He said, Aaron, it's kind of like the pilot light in a gas fireplace. Now, if you don't know how that works, I'll explain it. I explained it to my boys recently. We were at someone's house. My boys are eight and six. They're looking in their gas fireplace. It wasn't turned on. And they're like so fascinated by it. And all of a sudden, my six-year-old goes, dad, there's a fire in there. He was like so pumped because he saw the little pilot flame. It's just this little blue flame that's always there. It's always on. And the reason it's there is because all you gotta do is turn the knob and it increases the gas flow into that fire and then suddenly, (laughs) you know, your fireplace fills up with flames. See, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, it is like the pilot flame of God's presence within your heart. It is the promise to every believer. It's always there. It is the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance is what Paul will say in the book of Ephesians. So the pilot flame is there and yet there are times in our life where we are filled with the Spirit and that's like the flame just like kicking up. You know, but how often does that happen? When does it happen? Well, Paul says we should ask for it all the time. In Ephesians chapter four, he says, hey, go on, keep being filled with the Spirit. In the apostle Peter's life, we see it happen over and over again. He's filled with the Spirit. In John 21, he's filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter two, he's filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter four, he's filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, it's like over and over again, he keeps being filled with the Spirit, because you see, the movement that Jesus was starting would be fueled by the Holy Spirit within God's people. That when we are baptized into Jesus, we are given the gift of the Spirit, and God in his good grace continues to pour out his Spirit on his people as we seek his face. You know, what's happening here is, is Jesus says, hey, what is about to start, will not, it will not be built on your efforts, It will be fueled by the Holy Spirit in your life. And we as a church continue to be fully dependent upon the work of the Spirit in our lives. Now, I think what's interesting here about the disciples is that they still don't quite understand I think so often as humanity, we think in terms of like a big event or like a single episode or a single moment. And so he's like, hey, you're gonna be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they go, oh, the very next verse, is this when God's gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? They're expecting this throne for King David to sit on. And Jesus says, no, listen, listen, don't worry about the timeline or the event or the thing that God is going to do. He says, listen, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus is saying, listen, I started this thing by dying on the cross and coming back to life. It will carry on and be fueled by the work of the Spirit. But the disciples missed it. They thought the culmination of everything had already come and they were looking for some big event. And I think we kind of fall into that same trap sometimes. I know I do. I look at this season of fasting that we came through. And I know last Sunday night, man, I was just like pumped up. I walked out of here just like, wow, God, you're amazing. 33 people baptized, two hours of sustained excitement and worship and praise. I was like so pumped. I went home. I went to bed that night and and my wife and I were like praying together and praising God and I slept and I dreamt. I actually dreamt about people getting baptized last Sunday night. I was like, yeah, you know. And then at like like 4.30 in the morning, I, I just wake up and I felt like God like woke me up. He said, he said, Jesus was saying to me this phrase over and over again, and I couldn't shake it. The phrase was, Aaron, we've only scratched the surface. 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 It would not leave me alone until I got out of bed at like 4.40, I went to the living. I'm like, God, oh, what do you want from me? I wanna go back to bed. Like, why are you saying all this stuff to me? And he says, Aaron, we've only scratched the surface. And so I'm like, Jesus, did you not see what happened last night? <laughs> I was like, 33 people gave their life to you. I was like, what more do you have for us? And this is the, the phrase that he gave me. He took me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, Aaron, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind can perceive, that is what the Lord has in store for those who love him. <laughs> do you believe it, Ethos, that there is more yet that God longs to do What we just finished was not about an event that culminated with a cap-off worship night here at Ethos. It was a springboard into something new. The very next morning, Tuesday morning, same thing. God woke me up at like 4.30. I'm like, God, I'm tired, I wanna go out to sleep. And I felt like I woke up with this image in my mind of the Cumberland River coming out of its banks and like flooding, but, uh, but the phrase that I heard was, it's not a destructive flood, but a restorative flood. That as the waters receded, the soil was cultivated and ripe for new growth and for harvest. And I felt like Jesus saying, Aaron, the harvest is ripe. Will you ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers? You see, this season of fasting was not a harvesting season. It was about us remembering that our spiritual senses need to be awakened to the movement of God's kingdom and that we are fully dependent on the Holy Spirit to fuel all that God wants to do in our city. And the invitation to us is the same invitation that God gave his apostles. He says, hey, listen, just wait. Keep waiting on the Spirit. Be dependent upon the Spirit. Now, if you're sitting there going, okay, what does that look like? You know, I'm willing to bet that some of you adopted new rhythms during this season of fasting. And I want to encourage you, don't just slide back in, again, to the old normal. Adopt the new normal. I'm not saying you have to keep fasting every day all the time. But man, some of you, like for the first time ever, you got up early to spend some time and praying for other people. You don't have to stop doing that. You don't have to stop praying for that list of names that you got. Some of you, God moved you in your heart to keep praying for those people. Keep praying for them and start adding new names to the list. Let's keep being dependent upon the Holy Spirit to move us. Let's not numb out our spiritual senses with entertainment or food, but keep pressing into the Lord as the Holy Spirit keeps leading us. I keep praying that coming out of this season of fasting, that the Lord will give us a new normal of what life with him can look like. A normal or dependence upon him and earnest pursuit of him is not limited to a special season each year, but it's just the way that we live life as people who are fueled by the Spirit. And so who are we? Who is a church? It's a movement of God's kingdom that was started by Jesus, fueled by the Holy Spirit. And the third and final point is that it is carried by the people of Jesus. A movement of God's kingdom Started by Jesus, fueled by the Spirit, carried by Jesus' people. Jesus keeps talking in verse chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you're not familiar with the geography that Jesus is talking about there, he's saying, hey, hey it's going to start right here. They were in Jerusalem. He says, it starts right here in Jerusalem. But then you're going to be my witnesses. It's going to spread out. It's going to go into all of Judea. And then it's going to spread out even more. It's going to go into Samaria until it spreads out into the end of the earth. And this is what we see unfolding throughout the rest of the story of Acts, is that Jesus' words come true, his people. And I want you to understand who these people were. We go, oh, the apostles, man. Those are like the spiritual heroes. Forty days before this, they denied they even know Jesus. These are tax collectors and fishermen, ordinary people just like you and me. But Jesus says, you're gonna receive my Holy Spirit, you will be filled with power, and you will be my witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus's vision for his church, that you will be my witnesses. Now, this word witness is important. I wanna make sure we understand this. There's a big difference in a witness and an expert. Jesus doesn't say, hey, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will suddenly be a theological mastermind who knows everything about the Bible. (laughs) He doesn't say, Hey, the Spirit will come on you and you will be an expert able to convince all people of the truth. <laughs> he says, The Spirit will come on you and you will be a witness. What does a witness do? A witness doesn't talk about what they know, they talk about what they've seen. Witnesses bear witnesses to what they have seen. And it comes full circle back into this whole thing that we are participating in a movement of the kingdom. And Jesus says, I just want you to be my witnesses. Will you share where you see God at work in your life? Can you do that? When you talk to someone, you say, hey, you know, I used to be racked with anxiety, but God has started to give me peace in the middle of it. The kingdom of God has come near. Can you say, hey, I used to feel so hopeless and stuck, but then God began to give me hope. The kingdom of God has come near. I used to live in constant fear of death or the things that I can't control, but God has given me confidence and courage. The kingdom of God has come near. My spouse used to be cruel and mean and bitter, and suddenly they're loving and kind and patient. The kingdom of God has come near Can we begin to bear witness to the people in our lives of where God is at work all around us? This happened in the life of a good friend of mine that goes to Ethos, and he said that during the fast, it was really funny, he didn't talk about the fast that much, but his coworkers started to notice that he wasn't sitting with them at lunch anymore. And so one of the guys came and said, what are you doing? Like, why don't you eat with us anymore? And he's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing this thing in my church, I'm fasting and praying for the city of Nashville. And they're like, wait, you're like not eating lunch? He's like, yeah, that's, that's weird. And so, so he says, do yeah, I know, it's just it's this thing. But eventually all of his coworkers started finding out. And they all started asking him, hey, tell me about this thing that you're doing. And he had opportunity to bear witness to the things that he was seeing God doing all around him in our church and in other churches. And he got to say, hey, the kingdom of God is coming near to Nashville. He was bearing witness to the work of God in his life. Guys, I'm convinced that Jesus has only scratched the surface, that there is a harvest season. We were in a fasting season. That's a cultivating season. And there is a harvest season coming to our city. I don't know when. I don't know what it will look like. I don't know all the details, but I'm convinced and I have faith in the invitation for us as the church is remember who you are, You are a movement of God's kingdom that was started by Jesus. You are fueled by the Spirit, and you are empowered to be God's witnesses wherever you are. Man, do you want in on that? We're gonna continue reading the book of Acts and see our story, and here's what I want you to look for is to understand that this is not a story of something that God did. This is a story of God's character and his heart for the world around us that he's continuing to do and invite us into. So tonight, uh, what I'd like to do before we go to communion, I want to spend some time praying. I want to pray that the Lord will continue to seek this identity deep within our hearts. And so I'm going to have some prayer prompts on the screen. I'm going to divide the room up into three different sections. And so you guys over on this side, I'm going to ask you to pray for kind of point number one. It's going to be on the screen. This section right here, you guys are going to pray for point number two. And this section and this section, you guys will pray for point number three. And so if we can go ahead and get the slide up on the screen there, you guys over here, I want you to just pray, like, God, give us eyes to see, notice, and share your kingdom. You guys, let's pray, God, fill us each day with your Holy Spirit. Not just us, like, but God's church, the big church in Nashville, not just Ethos. And for you guys, Jesus, give us courage to be your witnesses in our city. So go ahead and get with two or three people around you and start praying through these prayer points, and I'll kind of call us back together for communion here in just a few minutes. As we get ready to go to communion here in just a minute, I wanna read kind of the rest of Acts chapter one over us. You can listen to what happens after Jesus says these things to his apostles, starting in verse nine. Luke writes, after he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You know, each week we gather around the table and we take this cup and we take this piece of bread. And is this reminder of the reality, the very real story that we live into, that Jesus, God became flesh and he gave his life for you and for me. He poured out his blood so that we could have forgiveness from the Father and then he rose from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this. He says, hey, listen, as often as you take this cup and as often as you take this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That as we take this each week is one of the ways that we proclaim that we bear witness to one another and to the world around us to the reality that Jesus has come that Jesus is coming back and we're in the time in between getting to see the kingdom advance. So I invite you to stand with me. Just stand with me. We're going to say a simple prayer together before we go to the table. I just invite you to repeat after me. Christ has come. Christ has come. And Christ will come, again. Christ will come again. Christ has come. And Christ will, come again. Christ will come again. Lord, prepare us to be your people to bear witness as we wait for your return. May we actively be filled with your spirit and see the movement and the advancement of God's kingdom. Equip us to bear witness, Lord, as we gather now around the table to proclaim your death and your resurrection. In the name of Jesus, amen.